Welcome to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast, featuring leadership author and podcaster, Carrie Newhoff, and Barna President, David Kinneman. This podcast delivers unprecedented insights every week into how church leaders are navigating constant change in an era of disruption and discusses new digital tools to help you stay connected in real time to the people in your church. And now, your hosts, Carrie Newhoff and David Kinneman. Welcome to Church Pulse Weekly. It is Carrie Newhoff here, along with David Kinneman, the president of Barna. Hello, David. Hey, Carrie. How's it going? It's uh, going great, man. I'll tell you, we are we are getting into spring, and I think this this year, twenty twenty two. I mean, is starting to shape up as a different year than twenty twenty one was. So, I think we can say that. Although we do have the threat of war and all of those things buzzing around us, that that is crazy. Yeah, the uncertainty in that regard, and those for those who are who are you know connected into Eastern Europe and and across Europe and really mm. around the world. Obviously, there's a lot of um, a, a lot of sobering news and the challenges that come with that. And and um, you know, it's, someone said to me last night, uh, "It's just amazing what evil can accomplish in the world." And um, war is pure evil when it when it comes to it. Obviously, there's yeah. there's t- times in human history when war has been has been justified and is there's a right side of war and sometimes the wrong side of war and there are other conflicts that have no clear, um, you know, sort of right and wrong, but it, it's a, it is a, it is an interesting time, isn't it? To, to reflect on all these mega trends and, and, you know, the, the economic challenges and the health, public health challenges with the pandemic. And what I'm noticing, it's, it's coming into full focus again with the war in, our, in Ukraine that, um, these digital devices, these smartphones, which is a topic we're going to, to, to spend a lot of time mm-hmm. on today, are bringing images and an experience of war um, in a real-time way to, to sort of screens around the world. And in many ways, the human heart, I mean, it's never designed to experience that kind of tragedy, but but to experience the kind of, you know, seeing people people bombed out, you know, dead, dead bodies. I mean, the, just like the, the, the progression of... of um, even the, the sort of the news media cycles, you know, you, you can keep up on Twitter faster than you can through traditional media as to, as to what's happening or sort of real, real-time accounts. And I think that that reminds us of, of the power of these scriptural principles of lament and of, you know, re- recognizing there are times where we need to turn off our phones. Like, it's, it's good to be mm-hmm. informed. It's good to be prepared for the world around us. But it's also uh, really important that we talk today on Church Pulse Weekly about the power of screens and the power of social media and how we actually live faithfully in this, um, you know, r- really amazing, like, like technology is like magic. Um, uh, but it's, but it's also, it requires new, new imagination and new responses from us as Christians. Yeah, I think that's well-framed. And, you know, I had the privilege of interviewing our guest today, Heather Thompson Day, and we talk about the more broad issues associated with social, but the good news is she finds a lot of hope and is trying to carve out a different voice on social than I think the one a lot of us find so fatiguing, even apart from war, but just the the banality of what social media has become, I think is is wearying on a lot of people, which also probably influences, you know, how leaders think about church online. It's like, I'm so tired of online. I'm so tired of Zoom. But we do have data on how Gen Z is uh, using social media. What do you want to share with us today, David? Well, I think the first thing um, we could talk about is the idea that smartphone use in general, 
you know, I call this digital Babylon. Some, some listeners mm-hmm. will know that's a phrase we, we talk about today. And, um, and so smartphone use in general is, is um, high and, and it's, um, you know, technology use the last couple of years, whether it's, it's computers or smart devices has been, you know, at an all time high with the pandemic and, and well that we had these digital devices during these years, because it, it made the experience of the pandemic at least, at least, you know, endurable. But um, the typical teenager, 13 to 17 year old tells us they use, they, they estimate themselves that they're using smartphones five uh, plus hours a day and young adults, 18 to 21 uh, are using it 6.7, almost seven hours a day. So it's just a ton of time. We, we, we say that screens disciple and um, that's true of, of all our screens. I mean, traditional television and, and, you know, news media. Is, yeah, I was going to say is, these is, stats is, feel like a rework of the eighties and the nineties, right. Where we were all glued yeah. to our TV sets. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, but, but in this case, the idea of personalization, the, um, the degree yeah. to which, you know, apps facilitate all sorts of things that are different than just the stream program, you know, the, I call it stream program, what used to be broadcast television, um, you know, the personalization and the uniqueness of our moment in digital is, is, is really quite, ast- quite astounding. And again, it's almost magic, but it also requires some new thinking. Well, and also the lack of a common dialogue. I mean, when it was three networks back in the 70s, we all kind of watched the same thing, right? And right. and for those who were alive at that time, I was as a kid watching that. And then cable news kind of fractured that into 20 channels and then 200 and then 2,000. And then the internet has just, <clears throat> we're all on our devices, but we're not sharing the same dialogue, which explains right. an awful lot. I'm curious, in Canada, was it... Th- was it- I'm curious, in Canada, was it also three networks, or how is that the same or different? Yeah, it was sort of CBC, CTV, and Global. We had three of our own. And, I mean, in the early days, well, I grew up in Windsor. So, first 10 years in Windsor. So, we had Detroit and Toledo, too. So, I felt like we won the TV lottery because there was, I think, one or two stations that we got. And it was rabbit ears time, right? Mm Pre-cable. When I was a little Mm -hmm. kid. But we would get uh, Detroit TV stations and then uh, Toledo on a good day. You know, when it wasn't too cloudy, we'd get Toledo. So, yeah, it was fun. I could kind of watch what I wanted to. And then cable came across when I was in, you know, elementary school and high school. And then it started to fractionalize. But even then, there was more of a narrative. And then social in the last 15 years has just blown that up into... We all have like even, you know, we're all on Instagram. We're all on TikTok. But we all have different feeds. We don't see the same thing. Yeah, totally. Yeah, that that personalization and that fragmentation of content is a very profound uh, impact, and I think that speaks to the next sort of general set of stats or or trends I want to talk about, which is uh, social mm-hmm. media's uh, f- social media's effect on Gen Z, um, especially women. And I mean, most listeners will know that Facebook has been under scrutiny recently about having maybe information about Instagram's effect on teenage, uh, you know, women, teenage girls. But um, young adults are more likely than teenagers to report negative feelings associated with social media. So teenagers are a little more like, oh, it's fine. But 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 young adults mm-hmm. sort of there. There's antibodies that grow, um, and Gen Z women um, are much more likely to 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 have negative thoughts about social media than our Gen Z men. Wow. For example, 18 to 21 year old women were more likely than their male peers and teenage girls. And nearly twice as likely as teenage boys to experience f- feelings of isolation, self-criticism, and insecurity related mm-hmm. to social media. And so um, it's interesting that young women are even self-aware in that way and, re- and report that's part of their experience with social media. So I know wow. that's some of the stuff that we'll be, 
we'll be talking about um, as we as we dive into this interview. Um, and then the other thing I just want to mention, and I think um, this comes from a report called uh, Gen Z Volume Two, but um, the screen time and thoughtfulness. So we, some some will know we worked with Andy Crouch on a TechWise Family, TechWise My TechWise Life, a really great book around the power of um, of being discerning as a family. And um, on on the basis of some of the work we've done for that book, but also just general work that we were doing with with Gen Z, we interviewed. T- 13 to 21 year olds and we we asked them about their use of media and technology and then their 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 sort of their mental and psychological engagement with it how do you feel about it and we basically put people into four categories so discerning was those who had below average screen time and they strongly agreed that they give a lot of thought to that amount of content that they're using Mm-hmm. Um, uh, absorbed were those above average screen time and low th- and, and not a lot of thought. I'm sorry, they, they 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 give a lot of they give a lot of thought. Unplugged were below average screen time and not a lot of, of, of thought. And then um, unrestricted were above average screen time and and uh, basically say they don't give as much thought to it. And so what's interesting is only 12% of of 13 to 21 year olds again Gen Z sort of is bracketed by those ages. We can't interview people younger than than 13 and and the upper range of Gen Z is now 21 almost 22. Some are 22 but yeah. we did the the survey in 2021. And so that Gen Z cohort only 12%, only 12% of uh, 13 to 21 year olds across all faith and all sort of experiences fell in the bucket of discerning um, a below average screen time, hmm. strongly agree. They give a lot of thought to content. Um, 16% were absorbed, 38% were unplugged, uh, 35% were unrestricted, a third are unrestricted. And um, I think that just tells us a little bit about, you know, kind of the, the, the state of social media and screens among young people today. Like there, there's obviously a lot of content and very few young people are, are especially prepared to handle the onslaught. Um, I would encourage, you know, listeners, viewers, to consider, you know, you can use these survey questions. They're found on our uh, subscription site at Barn Access, or you can pick up that that book called um, Gen Z Volume Two. But but if you don't want to, just ask how much time are you spending, and and you know how you how thoughtful are you about it, and and try to come up with your own like metric. And you know, imagine how can you track? Are we actually preparing people to to not just consume content, but to sort of consume it with a a filter with a perspective about what what's working for them and what God might be saying to them. Where could God be found in in this content? What is this telling us about God's work in the world? Even when we see brokenness, and um, and I actually think there's a huge opportunity when it comes to dystopian fiction and even some of the popular mm-hmm. series of today um, that we could actually talk to young people about how they're experiencing where God shows up and where He's absent. What does this tell us about the nature of the world? What does this tell us about the nature of the content we're we're seeing? Video games, music. Um, all of it. What is it telling? Uh, how is it telling us uh, about what to love? And I, th- I think young people are just absolutely uh, so ready for those kinds of deeper conversations around culture and content and entertainment, mm. and then and then using that as a springboard um, into these deeper conversations about what Scripture tells us about the, the sort of the, the the deeper way to understand what God's done and what He's doing in the world. Well, these stats are from a report Barna released this past year called Gen Z Volume 2. They have a bunch of great resources around Gen Z, including a journal and some exclusive video interviews with practitioners like Heather. And that's all in Barna Access Plus. To sign up, go to barna.com slash access. And with that, let's dive into my conversation with Dr. Heather Thompson Day. 
Well, I'm excited to have Dr. Heather Thompson Day with us today. She's an international or interdenominational speaker, I should say, has been a contributor for religion and news services, Christianity Today, Newsweek, and the Barna Group. She's an associate professor of communication at Andrews University and is also the host of Viral Jesus, a podcast with Christianity Today. Heather, it's good to have you. Man, I'm excited to be here. So um, I, I, I want to start here. Um, and I don't want to make it a leading question. I was going to ask you, how have you been rethinking social media? But maybe you haven't. So let's think about social media over the last few years as a communication platform and tool. Um, is that something you're rethinking? Do you think it's changed? Is your approach changing to social media in light of everything that's happened really since the dawn of this decade, which was tumult? Yeah, I think definitely the way I've interacted with it has changed. And I like to leave the receipts out there for people to see my own growth and progression. But I think for me, as I engage on social media now, I think a lot more about the person who's going to read it. When I first got on social media, it was a lot of, which is very standard use of social media. It's me broadcasting. It's People sharing their thoughts based on what they've experienced and just putting it out there. And now I just think I've tried to be a more sensitive communicator with it because I'm so aware of how broken people are and how isolated people are and how lonely people are. So before I post, I tend to spend a lot of time thinking, man, what's the, what's the single mom whose third kid is sick for the Mm. second time, right? In the last three weeks. What is she needing to hear and how do I speak into that? So I'm spending Hmm. a lot more time thinking about what certain people or demographics are maybe experiencing. What's the pulse that I'm seeing online and how do I fit into this? How do I say something encouraging in a time like this? See, that's really interesting and and feel free to disagree um, with me. I, I think I've probably been spending less time on social not because of some amazing self-discipline, but just because I'm growing more fatigued with it. And it mm. seemed to me like your your definition of like single mom who's third kid, it felt like that was more of social media three or four years ago than it is today. Now I hear a lot of opinions on everything that people are not qualified to talk about. Yep. From the pandemic to masks to war, because we now all understand war. And I just find it very numbing and fatiguing. I mean, have you seen that shift or am I just following the wrong people? No, I think that that is the shift, which is why I think it's even more important how we respond to it, right? If people are experiencing this overwhelming sense of isolation, and I've seen so many positives of social media. I have have Hmm. countless students at this point who have circled back to tell me the only reason that they've stayed in church is because of people that they follow online. So is there a lot of negatives to it? Absolutely. But my goodness, is this a tool that the church could use to advance the gospel? Are you kidding me? Oh, There's so much power there. And so I'm super sensitive and aware, and I feel very responsible to the way I use it because I don't want my own fatigue to overshadow the fact that I know I can post something that makes people feel more connected to God and to themselves and to humanity. So how am I stewarding the tool that God has put in my hand? And it's just the tool that every single person has in their hand, right? Like you don't need a you don't need a degree yeah. to use it. Or a team or a or budget. A team, or, or like mm-hmm. now God has told me I have a ministry. Like are you we every single person gets to connect with other human beings who are in perhaps their lowest moments, which so many of us are. 
Mm. by just going online. And so I have tried to be even more diligent with using it because I know the fatigue that I have experienced and felt. And I also know what it feels like to log in and see Beth Moore say something nice to me. And now my entire day is different, right? So if I've been blessed by it, I want to be the type of person that circles back and does that for others. So Heather, what are what are some of the types of posts that you're posting that cause people not to lose faith or yeah. to be a link of hope? Because I agree, I, I kind of miss the the status updates when it was like, you know, had a good day today or here I am in the backyard. Like now it is also politicized. So how are you, how do you try to be a voice of hope in the midst yeah. of it? What are you doing? So something, and I'm very specific in the type of audience that I speak to. I tend to speak to women and to college students. Those are the, Mm -hmm. that's the group I serve. And so Mm -hmm. most of my communication is going to be typically stories that will have a point embedded into them that serve that population. So for an example, um, one of my most viral tweets was just sharing a story of a student who had a straight F GPA, ended up coming to the community college I was serving at at the time. This is several years ago. And at that community college, ended up with a scholarship to Western Michigan University. And I had this conversation with her where I was just like, man, I'm just so proud of you. You're getting a scholarship. Can you believe that you're the same kid that entered here with a straight F GPA? And she said something to me that really struck me. She said, I think, honestly, it was just having a bed. She said, this is the first time I ever had a bed was in my dorms here. And that one, yeah, that interaction with her, A, it changed how I taught for the rest of my life because Mm. I realized, oh my goodness, students come, like we're all here at the same moment in the same classroom on the same day. And so it feels like we're all the same, but we're not. We're all coming from very Mm. different experiences and lanes of life. And it changed how I taught because I want to be respectful of the different experiences and environments that somebody may have stepped in here with. And so when I share those types of stories, my hope is that it makes somebody else think, oh my goodness, especially teachers, right? And educators and other college students. How do I be more aware that I have no idea what the person next to me has gone through before they sat down in the same seat as me today? How do I be more aware of that? So I try to just highlight whenever I overhear, the other day I was in the cafeteria and I heard, this is a true story, two girls go up to a girl behind me. I like wrote the whole thing down and they said, hey, were you enjoying being alone or would you like some company? And the girl said, I was about to leave because I was alone. So yeah, I'd I'd love if if you guys sat down next to me. And it was just this moment where I said, man, the kids are going to be okay. Here's two college students walking in this big cafeteria and they notice the person sitting by themselves and they don't assume that because you're alone, it means you're lonely. They ask Mm. good communication. They said, are you enjoying it or would you like some company? I love highlighting when I see people do the right thing or people do the kind thing or the hard thing. I like sharing that with people and hopefully making us think about our own choices that we're making every single day. And they're little tiny moments. How do you maintain hope in the midst of uh, such a negative environment? That's a great question. For me, my my spiritual discipline is I'm almost rigid with it. It's kind of the hill I'll die on. I will never leave my home if, if I haven't had worship. It's just a rule. Mm. Actually, you want to know my rule is that yeah. I will not get on social media unless I've had worship. 
So I realized wow. I was no longer making time for worship or it was so easy for me to forget. Like, oh, I'm so busy. I just didn't have time today. But I always had time to scroll Twitter or to scroll Facebook or to scroll Instagram. So I made this rule for myself where I said, if you do not take time to connect with God, you're just not going to log on. And that's fine. You don't have to, but you're not going to get on the apps that day either because you don't have time. Wow. What does worship look like for you? Oh, yeah. yeah. So I get up. I'm a mom. I have three kids. So the day never gives you time, right? To spend with God, you're going to have to make it. I get up at 5 a.m. Um, and I read my Bible. I read my Bible cover to cover every single year. I'm not saying that everybody has to do that. I am saying what I do. So yeah, I read about five chapters a day. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's changed my life. Has it not? Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. I've been doing it a long time. I'm on my 12th time through. I've been doing this for 12 years and it has changed. I am absolutely positive that nothing has impacted my life more than sitting down and going through scripture and wrestling through the stuff that I don't get and the stuff that I don't agree with and just sitting before the Lord with it and saying, help me with this and be a part of my life. It's been, nothing has changed my character more than Mm. taking that time every day. And it changes the way I see people as I walk out the door. How so? It reminds me to slow down, right? And it reminds me to be present. I just think when we invite the Holy Spirit in, I believe he will allow you to notice people and things that maybe you would have rushed past had you been too busy getting to where you were going. And that's something I pray every day is let me see people as you see them. The first thing I say when I open my eyes is, God, I give you this day and all that is in it. Help me to walk into your light. And that's just my own prayer of surrender, and trying to bring light and strengthen hands of people around me because I'm a teacher. And so Mm. my students deserve a teacher who spent time with the Lord before they stepped foot into their classroom, I think. right? So how do I steward faithfully the position that God has given me in a classroom? I think I do that by connecting with him before I ever step foot there. Hmm. That's so inspiring. So you are a teacher. You're also involved in journalism. And uh, a lot of people are picking on journalism and journalists these days. The news has never had a harder moment. Um, I'd love your take on the current state of journalism and perhaps even more so about the confidence people have in traditional forms of media and and, and journalism. What's your thoughts on that? It's this circular thing. My... My friends who are journalists is their full-time job, right? They Mm -hmm. get bonuses based on whether or not people click their articles. If they hit a certain amount of clicks, they'll get a bonus in their check. I didn't know that that's how it works. Yeah. Well, I won't speak for all organizations. I can think of a few. I won't say which, but that is how it works. If you get a certain amount of clicks, that reporter gets a bonus. And so, I mean, one of my best friends does international um, news. And he he was saying to me during like the election, he was like, I don't want to, I do international news. I want to talk about all these things that are happening. But when I put Trump in my title, everybody clicks. And so it's not necessarily that this is the only thing he wants to talk about. It's that this is what's getting clicks and he has to pay his mortgage. So there's so many things I think that go into that conversation. I will say that it's not just that Americans aren't trusting journalists. Americans aren't trusting each other. It's like 65% of Americans. I wrote an article about this in Newsweek. 65% of Americans say that they distrust each other more. Mm. It's like only 34% of Americans trust their church right now. That number, I think in 1990 was like 65%. So we're down by half in the last few years, decades. Most Americans don't trust their government. 
It's like 75% mm-hmm. of Americans say they don't trust the government. So we are having a trust problem in general. And so I think it is unfair in some ways to only pick on journalists because that's what we talk about. Agenda setting theory says what I talk about on the news doesn't tell me what to think about. It tells me, or it doesn't tell me how I think about things. It tells me what to think about. Right. So mm. because we're talking about news, it becomes part of the conversation, but we are Americans are untrusting of a lot of things right now. Yeah. And so say more on that. Like, I'm not sure this is where we want to be as a culture. And many would argue the model is broken. And one of the challenges of the internet, if you think about a traditional newspaper, which you can still buy, you don't really know what people are reading. It's very indirect feedback. So, you know, I like sports. I love the editorial. I love this columnist. And maybe through a few letters to editors and very indirect things, you figure out, oh, this columnist really should be on a more prominent page because... We think that people, but the internet, it just gives you instant, immediate feedback. It creates this like dopamine spiral downward where, oh, more Trump, more this, more that, more violence, more conflict. And people buy bad news, right? Like at the end of the day, that's what they do. And now the news is part of news as well. The model and people are saying, well, we're going to create an alt media, but the alt media is even more incentivized to be extreme because that's how they do their business model. So I'm just curious, like, do you see a way out of this mess? And Carrie, like, don't you think that's exactly what we're seeing online? Anger, we know things that go viral, anger, as far as emotions that go viral, anger is the number one thing to go viral. Sadness is. is the lowest. And then happiness is like in the middle of you can get awe or inspiration. That's where I like to sit. But anger, if for anybody who's trying to build a platform, the first thing I can do is say something controversial that will get people upset. Now I'm raised up in the algorithm and it becomes this really sick monster within yourself where I want to keep getting the hit so that I still feel relevant, but I'm also spewing toxic and negativity out there. It's the same thing that we're seeing journalists do trying to get hits too, right? So all of us are a part of the exact same system. And then we point our fingers at each other saying, who's worse? We're all doing it. And so I think at some level, at least my hope and my prayer for my students and for Christians is to say, I don't want to be a part of that. Mm. And there's responsibility into bring good news to people's lives, right? And to make people feel more hopeful. Well, we we sort of, you know, I spend my time doing this full time these days and I have a small team and our unofficial motto is, uh, try to make space for the good people on the internet. Yeah. In other words, you know, not that there are bad people and good people, but right. like, I think most people would like to have a rational conversation. Most people, the majority, maybe not everybody, but a lot of people are like, I'm not on that far right or far left. I'm not right. there. I'm somewhere in the middle. And I actually don't want my day to be characterized by anger, fear, frustration, tearing other people down. And so we try to create that. I also know the dilemma if you lead with positive headlines, nobody reads that stuff. Right. So secret formula, bit of a negative headline, positive article, negative headline, positive article. So, you know, that FOMO, that fear of missing out, what you don't miss, because I'll write like, you know, uh, well, here's one, you know, how to gain more integrity as a leader. It's like, oh, very important, but people yawn. But it's like five signs you lack integrity as a leader. Everyone's like, click, 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 click. And then you can do like the positive thing. I don't know. That's probably a cop out. Any thoughts about that like dilemma that we're just stuck in on human behavior? Yeah, I think it, I just think we have to be even better. And what I mean by that is I think we have to stop 
putting out mediocre content and then being upset True. and saying, oh, it's just because, you know, people aren't interested in good content. Well, maybe your content's mediocre, right? Like how do we start <laughs> really? Like, I think one of the best things yeah. we can do as Christians is say, how do I do my best work? How do I climb this ladder? How do I demonstrate integrity, but also professionalness and just strategic thinking and put in, put my best foot forward. We should be doing that online. And I'm of mm. the personal belief because I've seen it that you can do that while still being a positive person and while still actually exemplifying Christ. I've seen it for myself. And so it, there's an easier, quicker way, but put, do the work, put your hand to the plow and do the work. And I'll also say this, my friend, Karen Swallow Pryor, fantastic um, point that she made to me one time is that um, so many people are no longer wanting to do the hard work of like actually getting credibility or actually reading mm. the books and reading the articles, right? We're, we're looking for quick hot takes that I can put out there that make me seem interesting rather than saying, no, let me spend this year and read 12 books on this topic and now see what I can give to this conversation. Do you really think, I say to my students all the time, if you read one book a month on the exact same topic and in one year you've read 12 books on one, let's just say communication, 12 books on communication. Do you really think you won't have incredible insights to add to that conversation? Mm -hmm. Of course you will, but you got to mm -hmm. do the work. So I think we've got to do the work. I think that's such a good point. And some of the people that I respect the most, like they just, and, and they're, they're not like 79 years old. They're 40, 38. But it's sort of like, you know, if you think about money, compound interest, right? You put that $10 a week away at 18. And by the time you're 40, we all know that story. But I think you're right. That half hour a day, the two chapters a day, yes. the 12 books a year. At first, it doesn't feel like much, but you hit your late 30s or early 40s. And you're pulling back now on decades of really fascinating stuff. And you can tell the people who studied for the test versus the people who made a lifetime of study. If you right. know what I mean. Yes. And it really makes a big difference. Um, yeah. So you have a podcast. Yeah. It's called Viral Jesus. What are you learning about, first of all, why the title Viral Jesus? Yeah. Um, I, it goes back to kind of what we were talking about that I just think this is, there's all this kind of controversy of how should the church be responding with social media and my thought process is, man, go where the people are. And we can argue all day about whether it's good or bad, but it's here and my students are on it. And so why would I not want to, with integrity, use what they're already doing and where they're already at for the gospel? And so my hope is just that more Christians are responsible with their social media and with their communication, because you may be the only Christian on somebody else's feed. There are absolutely mm. people deciding whether or not, I'm telling you because they tell me, there are absolutely people who decide whether or not they want to go to church based on the Christian in their feed. Truth. So take ownership. Before we get more into the podcast, let me ask okay. you this. If you're advising your students or anyone, like here, here's the three things you should never do on your feed. Like I would beg you, please don't do this on your feed. Do you have a list of things that you would say, ah, this is what turns on church people off? Oh, so I, I just know in the research, they say that the more <laughs> the more political you are online, the more disinterested in religion people who are watching you become because they Ooh. start associating 
you know, there's no separation of church and state. It feels like these are the same thing and it's branded together and it, it puts people off. I think some people do this so, so well. Caitlin Chess is somebody that comes to mind that does it so well. And she's a, uh, studying political science in her PhD, right? And theology. And so she's a great person that does this. But most of us are not PhDs in political science. We're just One reason off the I mouth. hate the White House, whoever is in it, right? You know what I yeah. mean? One We're more just bad spouting. thing the president did. Yeah. So I, I think uh. most of us would, would, stand to kind of separate a little bit of sharing all of our political views because we don't need to know that, right? Like there was a time that I went to church and I sat next to you and I didn't know everything that you thought about everything that might be controversial. Mm. And we might build a relationship before we get to some of those inner feelings. I just think that there's space to just keep some things private. So I am not disagreeing with you at all. I actually share that opinion personally, but I can imagine people listening, pastors listening, who are saying, yes, but it is not like we cannot remain silent while America fill in the blank, whatever it does. What do you say to that? I say, I think we can speak always against injustices and against evils. You can Mm. always let people know what you're for. It's so much easier to tell people what you're against, but it takes more strategic thinking to make very clear that everybody knows exactly what you are for. Hmm. Right. So how are you sharing that? And you can do that without necessarily going into politics in such a direct way. And the truth is, in just in persuasion theory, I teach persuasion. We hmm. like being nudged. People are far more responsive when you hint at things, because I feel now I'm in control of whether or not I decide I want to do it. When I see that you are leaning this way, or I can guess that what you're hinting at, that's actually a very attractive persuasive choice. Can I also say this too? I think a lot of times people are like, I have to say this because I'm going to persuade people. You're not. Because persuasion (laughs) theory says we don't win arguments. We win affection. Did you know that? I didn't, never heard that line. That is We don't win our, this is true. We do not win arguments, we win affection. So the goal is not to slam somebody over the head with your argument. The goal is to build a relationship and affection where now somebody's even able to hear whatever my argument is. So Mm. a lot of the way we just, that's why I'm saying that quick broadcast, I think, is a disservice to the point that you're actually trying to make. That is such a good point. Man, I feel like going down a rabbit hole for an hour on persuasion <laughs> theory because I think that would be really helpful. I mean, what's a preacher? A persuader, right? Yes. That's what we're trying to do. And a lot of church leaders have declining attendance, and then we wonder why. There might be some clues here. And you're right. Those people, like what you're, the, the filter I picked up from you in these 22 minutes is the people I feel like unfollowing or the fatigue that is associated with social media and my use of it is around all of that. It is Mm. strong opinions about you should believe this and you should believe that. And these are people I know and people I care about, but I'm like, you're a different person online than you are in real life. Oh, that's a whole other thing too, yeah. Is is that a thing? Like Chris Bale's done some interesting research from Duke on that with breaking the social media prison. Do you think people are different online than they are in real life? Yes, we know they are. And and there's some good things to it too, right? So for some people who really struggle with social anxiety, I now feel like I can actually share what I really feel. But I think it's, I think it's disingenuous and um, unfortunate when, especially like I'm saying for me with Christianity, and that's really my audience that I'm talking to. Mm -hmm. If we are projecting ourselves as one way, and then I, I see pastors all the time 
right? Who are like actually mean. And the Twitter term we would use is dunking on people online. I wouldn't want to be pastored by you, right? I wouldn't. (laughs) And they're like, well, that's my personal account. (laughs) What do you say to that? (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, but my issue is that there are so many broken, hurting people who are genuinely looking for God. I think God is attractive. If he be lifted up, Mm. he draw all people to himself. 80 some percent of Americans believe in a higher power, right? So the conversation in persuasion is, who is it? Right. We don't have to argue. We could just start saying, oh, you believe in a higher power. That's a great entry point foot in the door. Let me tell you why I believe it's Jesus Christ. Right. So a bunch of the things that we argue about, we wouldn't we don't actually even have to argue about. We can say, hey, I see this in a similar way as you. And here's why I believe what I believe. Share The most compelling thing is just your own story. Share your testimony with Mm. people. And this is true. This is not just me spouting um, romantically. I did my dissertation on storytelling. Storytelling, we remember stories up to 22 times better than facts alone. We actually release a biological component, oxytocin, when we listen to each other share stories. Hmm. Knowing your own testimony is powerful. Be prepared to share it with other people, both online and off. Oh, Heather, this is so fascinating. I feel like we go in many directions. But you do have a new book. It's called It's Not Your Turn. Where, Where does that title come from? It's Not Your Turn. Yeah, it's something I used to say to myself. I would say, I so I couldn't get a job in academia to save my life. And I was um, so poor that my sister was dropping diapers off on my doorstep and then pretending mm. it wasn't her, right? So it was just a really dark time. And I had done everything right. I, I never took a summer off of school. I started college in 2005 and I finished my dissertation in 2018. And I never took a summer off. And I did about 23 credit hours a semester, um, to finish. So I felt like I deserved some reward here and and I couldn't get a job to save my life. And at the same time, one of my best friends who did not do everything right called me and said, you're not going to believe it, Heather. And I was like, what? And she's like, I just got hired by NASA. And I was like, wow, that's great. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. And I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, Heather, it's not your turn, but it's hers. And how you respond to her in this moment really matters. And so it was just something for about 10 years, I would say to myself when I felt jealousy creep in or like somebody else was getting the prayer I had ordered, I would just say, you know what? It's not your turn. That doesn't mean your turn's not going to come. But how you show up in this moment, who we are when it's not our turn is actually more important than who we will be when it is. And so how do I demonstrate integrity when nobody's watching? How do I turn the podcast mic on for two listeners? right? Everybody Mm. shows up when thousands of people are there to see you. That's not integrity. And that's not an anointing. Who's showing up for the two people that came to that Bible study, right? I want to talk to that youth group leader. That's integrity. And so Mm. how do we keep showing up when it's not our turn? That's what my book's about. Oh, wow. And it talks a little bit about social media in comparison. It does. It does. Because I think (laughs) <laughs> Unfortunately, yeah, in we 2005, get to see, you didn't have anyone to compare yourself with, barely. You, not right? in the same way, right? And yeah. now, like, I get to see how great all of my former high school classmates are doing, right? And everybody that I ever went to college with or met in the bathroom one time. It's not normal what we're experiencing. And so I think it's normal that our social comparison rates are so high. Hmm. Well, I'll tell you, this has been a fascinating conversation. I would love for you to close just on any word, encouragement, admonition, warning um, to pastors listening about social media. 
Yeah, I think what I would say is when we're looking for purpose, we never have to look further than what's already in our hands. And Mm. for almost all of us, it's already in your hand. And so steward it wisely, steward it responsibly. This is, oh, God, give me a mission. God, give me a church. God, give me a ministry. It's like, just steward what's in your own hand. Show up for the five people who are going to see what you're posting or the hundred people who are going to see what you're posting because it matters. And I'm telling you, the Holy Spirit does use social media. I have experienced it myself and I've seen it in the lives of my students. They've been deeply impacted by people's evangelism online. There's a priesthood of all believers. Steward what is in your hand. Heather, thank you so much for uh, joining us today on Church Pulse Weekly. I'm so, so grateful. So um, some of the stats that David and I shared earlier are from a report that Barna released this past year called Gen Z Volume 2. They have a bunch of great resources around Gen Z that uh, include some exclusive video interviews with practitioners like Heather, and it's all inside Barna Access Plus. So to sign up today, go to barna.com slash access. That's barna.com slash access. Heather, Thank you so much for being with us today. Thanks for having me. Well, we could have gone so much longer with Dr. Heather Thompson Day, but what a great conversation. Thank you so much for listening to today's podcast. And uh, if it's been meaningful to you, share it with a friend and leave us a rating and a review. And we'll see you next time on Church Pulse Weekly. Thank you for listening to the Church Pulse Weekly Podcast. Join us next week for more insights on navigating constant change in an era of disruption and how to stay connected to the people in your church.